Hi friends, I'm popping on before the start of the episode to make sure that you have heard that I am offering a summer special. It's a six week coaching package. And primarily I am thinking of the moms out there who want a better co-parenting relationship. If this sounds like you, if you dread getting a text or a voicemail from your co-parent, if you stress or worry about handoff days, what the kids are gonna be like going to your co-parent and what they're gonna be like coming back from your co-parent, or if you just worry about things that might happen in the future, like how your relationship evolves with your kids or things that your ex might do in the future, then this coaching package is so perfect for you. We can really transform how you feel about your co-parenting relationship and set you up with some new tools and strategies so that it becomes so much easier. So if this sounds like it could really hit the spot and help you this summer, check out the show notes for the link to how to purchase the six week coaching package and really grab yourself one so that this summer is a whole lot different for you. Now, on to our show. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the podcast. You are listening to Welcome to the Other Side, and I am your happy host, Meg Gluckman, and I have a treat for us today. We have a guest. We have Sarah Bybee Fisk, who I just have to tell y'all that I am like such a huge fan of. I have to fangirl a little bit over here. She was one of the instructors from my certification program, and I have just followed and read so much of her work. So it is a real honor to have her here. But let me tell you a little bit more about her before I bring her on. Sarah is a master certified coach and instructor who teaches women how to eliminate people pleasing and perfectionism from their lives. She's an anxious optimist, which I love, and a born again feminist, which I doubly love, who listens to more books than she actually sits down to read. She loves a good hike, dark chocolate. Oh my gosh, we're meant to talk and good conversations. Her big dreams include learning to sail and to sing and dance like JLo. We can check in on that, how progress is going, and helping thousands of women create the big juicy lives they want to be living. She is a wife and mom of five, and she enjoys these roles most of the time. Such a good intro. Thank you for sharing that with me. Such a good intro. Well, it's, Welcome, Sarah. It's it's honest. If nothing else, it's honest. I love it. I love it so much. And as you can hear from her bio friends. She is not a divorced mom, but she is a mom of five. She has been there, lived it. And what I asked Sarah on to talk about with us today is people pleasing, which is something that clearly comes up for a lot of divorced moms, co-parenting moms, and isn't something that I've really talked about very much on our podcast. So I'm thrilled to have you here. Thank you, Sarah for being on with us. I have been looking forward to this all week. I'm thrilled to be here. Awesome. This is my so, favorite conversation to have in the entire world. Yay. So why don't you start us with almost like a definition? What in your sense yeah. is people pleasing? People pleasing is the experience of having limited choices because of what everybody else in the world wants. Mm. Ex-husband, your children, mother-in-law, mom, dad, 
people pleasers are very connected to people outside of them. And those people are like the puppeteers pulling the strings. And it literally feels like I have less choices or I can't do that. I can't say that. I can't say that I don't want to do that. And so it's the experience of feeling like I have limited choices because of everybody else in my life. How did you come to specialize so much in helping people get over people pleasing? Well, it is 100% autobiographical. I was at home for many years, uh, like home, home. I, I had five kids. I even homeschooled them. We were just in this little like love educational bubble in our home. And then the circumstances changed. They wanted to go to school. I thought it was a fantastic idea. And so for the first time I had an empty house and I thought, I don't even know what I want to do. Like, what, what, what do I, what do I like now that I have all this free time? No joke. The first week that they all went back to school, I was like a dog without an owner. I just kind of wandered around the house. I binged watched Jane the Virgin. And I just thought, is this my life now? <laughs> like, I, unless someone else is demanding things or needing things from me, I don't know what to do. And so I decided, well, maybe I want to be a life coach. I had a friend talk with me about it and she was a therapist and had turned life coach. And so I went to coach certification and that's when I noticed like this inner chihuahua, like, do you like me? Do you think I'm being a coach? Am I doing this right? What do you think? What do you think? What do you think? Am I doing this right? What do you think? Do you like me? And then it just got worse because the more that I interacted with clients and I took a master coach certification process, that's when it really came to a head because I felt paralyzed by the amount of time that I spent thinking about what other people were thinking of me. And it all really came to a head in a master coach uh, training session. I had all my peers and I had taken on a project that I thought would wow and impress everybody. But for the first time I could tell, like I was pretending and performing. I knew it and they knew it. And it was one of those moments where I was called out like, what? I mean, my, my trainer literally said, Sarah, what is going on here? Who, what, why, why all this pretending and performing? I truly wished the earth would just open up and swallow me whole in that moment. And luckily, I guess now the earth doesn't do that because it forced me to confront for the first time, this validation need that was just like this hungry monster that could never get enough never enough, never enough, never enough. And I changed my project to write a curriculum, stop people pleasing. And it was for myself. It was how would I teach myself to stop people pleasing if I had to. And I took it through several iterations and I loved it so much. And it was so incredibly transformational for me that I began to pilot it with a couple of different groups of women. And it was so transformational for them. And now I'm like, I don't want to ever do anything else. Yeah. Wow, such a good story. What, or maybe why do you think that we get to a place where we value other people's opinions and desires more than our own? This is one of my very favorite questions because I think it's not something that we really understand. And here's the answer. It's because that's what we are born to do. We are all dependent. We, babies come into the world with no ability to take care of themselves. They're completely dependent on the big people in their lives. And we are biologically encoded to cry as, as, a, as a way of expressing need. 
And so if you know a baby or have a baby, you know that baby cries and someone comes, hopefully, takes care of it, changes its diaper, feeds it, puts it to bed, cuddles, loves, snuggles it. So from our earliest experience here on this planet, we learn, oh, I behave in a certain way, I cry, and there is a reward or there's a reaction. And so because we are utterly incapable of taking care of ourselves as babies, it's very important to know what is going to get me what I need. Mm. And so babies are very, very smart. Have you ever held a baby and the baby smiles and the big people go, oh my gosh, she's smiling, she's smiling. And then the baby smiles bigger because the baby's learning, oh, they like this. I should do this more. This gets my needs met. And so everyone is taught to people, please. It's how we get our needs met. The reason that I love sharing it this way is I know so many women who are my age, I'm turning 50 this year, and we're like, what the heck is the matter with me? I'm X number of years old and I still don't know how to say no to my mother-in-law, or I still get sucked into the PTO school carnival every single year. How does this happen? And so when I share with, uh, with you know, my audience and your audience clients, like actually all of us are trained to be people pleasers. The problem is not that we people please, because that's what got our needs met. That you and I are here today because we were great people pleasers. Mm -hmm. We learned what the big people wanted from us. The problem is not that we people please. The problem is that we don't know how not to people please when that behavior no longer serves us. Yeah. So what do we call, this is such a funny question, but we have people pleasing over here. Yes. And then I feel like the other end of the spectrum that folks are afraid they'll fall into is being selfish. Right. Right. So what, what is the middle ground? Like what, what is the ideal place that we should be aiming for? I call it self-connected leadership. Ooh. And here's what I mean by that. Like when I am in a situation with someone else, a people pleaser will disconnect from themselves and connect to the other person. What do they want? Who do they want me to be? What do they need from me? How can I please them? But when you're in self-connection, my needs matter just as much as yours. My wants matter just as much as yours. My time, my energy, my effort are just as valuable as yours. We are equals. And I maintain a connection to myself when I am with you. And I am able to hold both of our needs, wants as equals. And I'm able to lead myself according to my values, according to what I think is important in the moment. Sometimes that means I'm going to pick my needs and my wants over yours. And sometimes it means I'm going to pick your needs and your wants. If I'm in a relationship with you, that is what I think is the ideal, reciprocal, responsive relationship, but I can only have it if I'm able to hang on to myself and not abandon myself every time I'm in relationship with another person. What I heard you say there is when I'm in relationship, sometimes I prioritize or pick your needs and sometimes I pick my needs. And that's, that's the healthy yes. relationship, right? Yes. So talk to me about when someone recognizes they have been people pleasing a lot in a relationship and they want to change. They want to come to this place, like you're saying, of this self-connected leadership where they know what their needs are when they start recognizing what their wants are. 
and advocating for those. And they're afraid of changing up the relational patterns that are established. They're afraid of if they stop people pleasing, there's going to be consequences. Like the other person's yeah. going to be really upset. Yeah. Talk to me about how, how you support them in that space. Yeah. Well, here's the, here's, here's what is fascinating is that it is uncomfortable either way. People pleasing gets us in a lot of uncomfortable situations. We feel resentful. We feel like we're not even driving the bus of our own lives. Things are just happening to me. How did I get into this mess? Like I said, how am I in charge of the PTO carnival for the third year in a row? And so that is a lot of resentment and frustration and a lot of discomfort when we people please. And the one thing about that cycle is that it keeps going because people expect us to still please them. Not people pleasing is also very uncomfortable in the beginning. We feel guilty. We feel worried. We feel anxious. Our hypervigilance kicks in and we're worried about changes in the relationship or how this is going to affect my relationships. So the very first thing that I, I would love for your listeners to understand is that it's uncomfortable either way. And what we have to learn to do is to choose the discomfort that we want on purpose for reasons that we like. So when I am walking someone through, okay, these are the steps to stop people pleasing. The first one is always to just pause. People pleasers have very well-worn, habitual things we say, sure, yeah, I can do that. No problem. Let me just rearrange a few things and I can take care of that, right? Or no, I'm fine. I'm fine. No, it's, it's fine. It's fine. I'm okay. It's okay. It's okay. The I'm first laugh step I'm laughing because just... it sounds so familiar. <laughs> I'm like, okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Of course we all do. Like no one is not trained to be a people pleaser. Like the only thing that happens is that men or people socialized as men get a different set of programming that we, as people who are socialized as women, we don't get. So yeah, of course, every female socialized person out there is shaking their head like, yep, because we are not taught to pause. So the first step, just pause. And I like to use a memorized phrase that I just deploy to get myself some time because in the moment when the PTO president is asking me if I can head up the carnival, my trained people pleaser brain is going to say yes, but I have to pause and say, you know what? Let me think about that. I'd love to get back to you. Or thank you so much for asking. Let me check my calendar and see if that works. It's a memorized phrase that you use to get yourself a moment to get out of that situation because you're conditioned to say yes. And if you don't pause, you're going to say, yes, something has to change. So the first thing is a memorized phrase that just says, you know what, give me just a second. Then when you have the time and you're out of the situation, your nervous system can calm down. You're not in that moment of heightened, like, oh my gosh, they want an answer right now. I need to answer them. You have a second. And then you can do step number two, which I call pretending. Pretending is, let's pretend I say yes. And let's pretend I say no. Okay. So she asked me if I want to do the PTO carnival. What that means is it's going to be at least three hours of calling parents and asking them for donations. Oh my gosh. It's going to be another at least hour of like going around. I mean, no, you know what? That's probably more like two hours of going around and picking up all of their carnival donations. That's going to be another three hours of setup on the day of another two hours of teardown. 
Okay. So now I'm looking at what was that? Where are we at? Like 10 hours now? I, I lost track, but the point of pretending is to actually forecast to the best of your ability. What does yes look like? And here's the important part. Once you forecast the time, the energy, the effort, like maybe if I'm PTO carnival, I'm going to feel obligated to kick in a hundred bucks for a raffle gift basket. So I count it all up and I ask myself, what am I going to be feeling if I say yes? I'm going to be resentful. I'm going to be angry. I'm going to be counting down the hours until it's over. You know what? I might feel happy that I'm doing something for my community. I really love my school. I want to support my kids going there. Okay. But I'm looking at at least 10 hours of time, possibly a hundred bucks of money and some resentment and frustration with a little side of, I like what I'm doing because it's for my community. Let's say I say no. Okay. Now I'm just going to be feeling guilty as hell when I'm at that carnival because now I'm just attending and I'm not actually helping, you know? So now that I have pretended both scenarios and done my best to forecast, here's the important question. Which discomfort do I choose on purpose? And here's where it is a completely individual choice. Maybe to some people out there, supporting their community and showing up for their school community that they love is worth the 10 hours, the 100 bucks, the frustration and resentment. Only you can know. Or maybe feeling guilty as you attend the carnival as just a participant is what you choose because it helps break that people-pleasing cycle. That choice is up to you, but here's what I can say. You can only make that choice after you have actually pretended and counted the costs. And that's what so many of us don't do. That's why uh -huh. we find ourselves in these situations where we're like, how did this happen? And we uh -huh. feel like we didn't choose it uh -huh. because we didn't. And if I could just add one more little thing into the no bucket that we we need to keep in mind, right? Is if we have some thoughts about what other people are going to think about us if we say no. Yes. We yes. definitely have thoughts. We probably have unconscious thoughts about what people think of us. If we say yes, we probably have some positive sure. thoughts in that category. Right. And then just recognizing, oh, I might, I might think that, you know, whoever asks me is going to be disappointed or they're not going to think I'm reliable or that I'm mm -hmm. not helping enough. And I have to, like, that's part of the discomfort, like being okay that it's possible. I mean, they might think those thoughts, they may never think those thoughts. We might never know. Right. We will probably never know. But that's part of the discomfort too. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And people pleaser brains are exaggerators and liars most of the time. So it's likely that what you think they are thinking of you isn't even true. That doesn't, that does, that's not going to stop your brain from imagining the worst. And so you are exactly right. Part of the discomfort we're sitting with is all of the imagined things that we think uh -huh. they're thinking of us. But when uh -huh. you know your reason, when you know, like, listen, I am choosing to feel guilty as I walk around the school carnival and I am choosing to feel a little anxious because I'm imagining what he thinks and she thinks and what they think because it's what I choose on purpose because I don't want to do this anymore then it's worth feeling. And unlike the people-pleasing cycle that just goes on and on and on and on and on, when we choose to feel the discomfort of not people-pleasing, it gets easier. It's like exercising a brand new muscle. At first, it feels excruciating to lift a two-pound weight, right? Mm -hmm. But then pretty soon we're like, hey, this, 
this is actually pretty easy. I can lift five pounds, now seven pounds and 10 pounds and 15. And so it is a cycle that actually strengthens and gets easier rather than just keeping you stuck. That's the critical difference. I love that so much, right? Instead of thinking of people pleasing as kind of like an inherent personality trait, right? That I'm just, I am a people pleaser. Instead, we just think of it like a skill or a strength that we can build. We can just choose, okay, this is the point in my life when I want to start pumping those weights. I want to build, exactly. build this strength. Yeah, that's yeah. so good. I want to circle back to what you were saying about frustration and resentment. Because to me, and this is from my own journey and finding it, to me, especially resentment, I don't know, maybe I just have a special relationship with resentment. It was one of the best flags for me when I was feeling resentment. That to me was a flag. Okay, I'm probably people pleasing here. And I'm not, I don't recognize it. So it was only when I started noticing the resentment. So can you talk to me a little bit about why, like, why is resentment or why does resentment show up so much? And what happens when we have a lot of unresolved resentment? I love this question because it, nothing pisses a people pleaser off like someone else who isn't people pleasing. Yeah. Yeah. And the second, Sentence in my brain is literally like, listen, I am busting my butt to do everything for everyone all the time. Why aren't you? Why aren't you? That's what we're all doing here. None of us like it. None of us want to be doing it, but that's just the way it is. So you better start people pleasing too, because we're all stuck in it. Like that's the voice of my resentment in my head. And so mm-hmm. first of all, you're like, maybe I just have a special, re-. no, you don't have a special relationship. Resentment is such a part of it because when other people are showing us how free they are to choose what they want and do what they want, what we notice is I'm not free that same way. I don't have that freedom. And most of the time it pisses us off. (laughs) Yeah, it is. It's that freedom, right? And little do we recognize that why it pisses us off so much is that that's what we want. Yes, we want the same freedom that they can just choose, like they can choose whether or not they're going to do stuff. They can say no so easily to things like, how dare they? But really, it's like, I want that. And it's interesting that you that you brought up a little bit ago that um, folks socialized as men growing up got a different programming, right? And so I work with a lot of moms going through divorce or after divorce who are still co-parenting with their ex. And there's often a lot of tension because the, the woman often in a hetero relationship, the woman is still people pleasing and the, the man is not. And there's so mm-hmm. much frustration. There's so much resentment over how the, the dad can say no to things, can, you know, use his time how he wants, do whatever he wants. And she feels like she can't. Yes. It's such a common, common scenario. Yeah. So let's go back to, you know, our, our baby who is watching for what the big people want. That baby grows up 
and then it becomes a toddler and it's watching and looking for what gets rewarded with connection and love and praise and what gets punished. And right around, I don't know an exact age, but from personal experience and just what I've observed, right around four or five, boys start getting praised for different things than girls. Girls are praised for being obedient, for being compliant, for not making waves, for not causing problems. And boys are praised for being rough and tumble, for taking risks, for taking up space. And we begin to notice that if I want praise, I have to be nice. I have to smile. I have to be sweet. I have to minimize my needs and focus on what other people and we're praised. You're such a good girl. You are such an easy child. It's so, you're so helpful. And that connection we need, it's not optional. And so as we grow up, socialized as girls and later women, the things we are praised for are very different than the things that people who are socialized as men are praised for. And so because we want the connection, that's what we do. Mm, yeah. And we just, can, we just carry that forward, carry yeah. that forward. Yeah. Because no one ever teaches us how to not people please. No one ever says like, Hey, I know that you're a student in sixth grade right now. And your teacher wants you to sit in your desk and be quiet and only talk when you raise your hand and only go to the bathroom once a period. But someday you're going to want to be your own person. You're going to want to do whatever you want with your life. This is actually your life. And what we emphasize is compliance, obedience, and children in general are actively disconnected from their bodies and their wanting in a way that shows up in so many interesting ways, sad, painful ways later, because when a teacher says to a student, no, you don't have to go to the bathroom now, you're hold it right now. I'm fighting the urges and the wanting in my body. When my mom says, I don't care if you don't like him, he's your uncle, you go give him a hug and a kiss right now. I have to fight the discomfort in my body to comply. When someone says, finish your food, I have to fight the fullness in my body. And so that disconnecting us happens to all children. It's just that boys are allowed to reconnect in ways that girls are punished for reconnecting for taking up space, for sharing our opinion, for making waves. Mm, yes, yes, and yes, and yes. <laughs> yes, 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 this yes. Is, this is our lesson in patriarchy, y'all, and yes. all the good socialization that we have. Um, I mean, this is only a very little, little piece of it all, right? But yeah. so, so key. And I think when you speak of it in this way of something that really starts at birth and, and goes through our whole, whole lives, it makes so much sense why it is not an easy thing to change, right? It is so deeply ingrained in us. And it also helps make sense of why it's so scary to change, right? Like Absolutely, my, because, the, yeah. Well, what is at stake, even though, Okay, so if we can imagine, I am a 49-year-old woman today, but I'm also the six-year-old girl who wants to be chosen for yeah. the basketball team, yeah. right? I am a 49-year-old woman, but I'm also the 13-year-old girl who wants my mom to love and approve of me. 
I am all of the ages and desires and fears that I haven't yet resolved and worked out. And so when I go to stop people pleasing, it is, it feels like my needs won't get met if I stop pleasing the people around me. And that is a very, very real feeling. And so to develop the capacity to sit with that fear Mm -hmm. and to choose it on purpose and to love and be with myself and to meet some of my own needs first is really critical because absolutely it can be very scary to mess with the nuts and bolts of how a relationship has worked in the past, especially when we think our needs aren't going to get met anymore. They're going to think I'm selfish. They're not going to love me. What am I, what is my value if I don't do things for the other people in my life? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a real identity shift. It is a real identity shift. And I actually think that maybe that's also why I see so many women address it and notice it when they're going through divorce too, because they're already shifting so much, right? Like everything is up in the air. They, you know, we're, we're trying to redefine everything. And so there's a question of like, okay, how do, how do I want to be in relationship with people? Do I want to continue these old patterns or is there something new and different that I can choose? Can I center myself a little bit more in the picture? Can, can I do it in a way where I'm not actually being selfish, but it's in the best interest of everyone that I do? Yes. Yeah. The divorce clients that I have had, it is such a time of upheaval of everything, right? Everything gets questioned. Everything gets looked at. And it can be an incredibly beautiful opening into a new beginning. But for something to be different in your next relationship, you have to change. So many of the women that I work with, we hope that someone is coming to save us. We really hope that maybe my boss will just stop asking me to put in extra hours. Or maybe my mother-in-law will just stop asking me to go to church with her. Mm -hmm. Maybe my husband or my boyfriend or my partner will stop depending on me to just do all the dinner stuff. Yeah. The best and the worst news is that no one is coming. It has to be work that you do from the inside out. Yeah. And although it is scary and it's full of its own type of discomfort, who you are on the other side Mm. is someone who can speak up for what they want with love and compassion Someone Mm -hmm. who can say no with a direct, clear, kind clarity. Someone who who really shows up and is there and present when they say they will be because they've chosen it. Yes. One of the hidden costs of all of this people-pleasing is that we say yes to things and then we just can't wait for them to be over. We're not Mm -hmm. present. We're not enjoying it. And the one thing that it costs is so much of our time, energy, and effort, which is we don't get more time. We can't get that back. And so although it is scary, who you are on the other side of it Mm -hmm. is just incredible. Oh, it's so juicy. I got like tears welling up. It's so juicy on the other side. It is so powerful. I mean, these are empowered women. These are women who are like making serious ripples out into the world. And I think, I mean, what what just lights me up inside is knowing that them going through this transformation is modeling it for their kids. Their kids, it's it's not going to take their daughters as long 
to to gain their own self independence, right? As it did for us. I just had Mother's Day with my three older kids who have all moved out of the house. And I ask for them, the only they ask me what I want. I'm like, I do not want carnations. I do not want Hershey's kisses. <laughs> right. I just, I want you to write me a letter because their words about what our relationship means to them is the most precious thing. And this time around, every single one of my kids said in one way or another that watching me change has been amazing for them. Watching me value myself. I mean, a hundred percent. I was the stay at home mom who got all of her value from whether or not my kids were happy, trying to fix problems for them, intervene and short circuit their discomfort so that I could feel better overworking to please and do things for them. And so for them to say, now my daughter said like, mom, watching you think, watching you change, watching who you have become is the most inspiring thing to me. And as I thought about it, it's because I'm showing them that they don't have to lose themselves when they have children. They don't have to lose themselves the next time they go out and create a romantic partnership with someone, that they matter and that it is possible to hold your needs at exactly the same level as everyone else. And that that's what creates a really beautiful life. Listeners, if you have tears in your eyes, I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm so inspired. Thank you so much, Sarah. This this is just the medicine that we all need right now. I'm so grateful. So grateful to you. Well, I am grateful because if I could put, um, you know, remember when World War II bombers would fly over Germany and just drop leaflets all over? If I had my bomber and could drop leaflets to all the women in the world, it would be that you matter that what you want for you matters and that the time that is being burned up with ruminating and worrying about what other people thinking and worrying that you didn't say the right thing, like all of that time, you're not going to get any more of, and it's exactly what you need to reclaim to create the life that you actually want to be living, that Mm -hmm. you wake up every day, not that it's perfect, right? but that you keep a hold of yourself in it and you know who you are and you know what you want and you know how to get it. I love it. So, so good. Thank you. Thank you. If folks want to find out more, I know you have a great freebie on your website about people pleasing. If folks want to dive deeper, can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. It's called how to have a difficult conversation because it's one of the hardest things, right? we spend a lot of time. How do I say it? Is this okay? Is this too mean? We call our friend. This is what I want to say. What do you think? How would you say it? And right, we, we, we run it through like this whole group of people to make sure that it's okay. And having a difficult conversation is a skill. And once you have it, it just gets easier and easier. So that's one thing that I want to make available to people. Yeah. Awesome. And y'all, she has a great podcast too. The X good girl podcast. Love it so much. You all should go check out. She did two episodes with her husband, a kind of behind the scenes that is very, very fun and very informative, very juicy. Is there anything else that you want to share with folks or last thoughts before we end the episode today? The other thing that I do is a group coaching program called Stop People Pleasing. And the thing that women need is to be consistently witnessed and cheered on. Mm. Once that once we know how to stop people pleasing, it's just a matter of creating that new habit. And that's what we do inside Stop People Pleasing. 
And if you're interested, there's more information on all of my social media accounts and it's open for enrollment right now. Wonderful. Well, y'all, I would jump on that if I were you. It's uh, a joy to be in Sarah's presence for any little bit of time. And I think being around other women doing the same work would magnify all your results and just be pure magic, pure magic. Thank you so much, Sarah, for joining us today and sharing all your wisdom. I appreciate you a lot. I have loved every second, Meg. Thanks for having me. All right, y'all. We'll see you next week. I hope you enjoyed that episode. If you are a mom who's divorced and feels really challenged by your co-parenting relationship, I want to make sure that you know about the free class that I have on my website. It's called Fearless Co-Parenting, and it's all about eliminating anxiety, worry, and panic from your co-parenting relationship. We know we can't control what our co-parent does, but we can control and feel more resourceful and resilient in how we feel about their behavior. I want you to have so much more confidence, resourcefulness, and calm in your co-parenting relationship, and I'm gonna show you how to get it. It is possible to feel at ease, to sleep well at night, no matter what your co-parent is doing. So go grab that class, Fearless Co-Parenting, from my website, meggluckman.com and let's change your co-parenting relationship forever.